There we go. Matthew chapter 5, and we invite you to stand if you're able to do so for the reading of God's precious word this morning. Seeing the crowds, he, speaking of Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. May the Lord add his richest blessing to the reading of his word this morning. And thank you, you may be seated. We have now contemplated over the last couple of weeks, we have contemplated both the first advent, which was the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in human flesh, and we considered a little bit at the beginning of Christ's ministry, and we're going to look at that a little bit more in depth this morning as we prepare to go through each one of the Beatitudes. It's not just the grace of God that came down to mankind, but that in his providence, God the Father orchestrated and planned every single event that was necessary in order to take Christ from the glory of heaven down to earth down to the humility and the shame of being hung on the cross where he would suffer the wrath of the Father. Then we come to Matthew chapter 3 and we find Jesus Christ being tempted in the wilderness. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Now, there are many, and we have talked about this in our Thursday night class um, that we are having. Brother Gabe is uh, teaching and, and leading this class from the book of Hebrews. And there is a doctrine that is very important to you and I, or that should be very important, and that is the impeccability of Jesus Christ. This is vital to what we believe here at Yellowstone Baptist Church and from what we see in Scripture. You see, to believe in the peccability, that is simply a word that refers to the sin or the sin nature. To say that Jesus Christ did not sin is not enough. We have to say that Jesus Christ could not have sinned as well. So not only did Jesus Christ not sin in his earthly ministry at any point or even before his earthly ministry, Jesus Christ did.
did not even have the ability to be able to sin. Now, when we were in England, we had some of the folks who came to our church for just a little while, and they insisted that Jesus Christ was probably a very naughty little toddler. Or that when he became a teenager, that he actually became involved in things that other teenagers in this day and age get involved in. That would be heresy. Because at no point did Jesus give up being God. He was 100% God, 100% man, period. So it is important that we believe and that we understand that Jesus Christ was not only not able to sin, but that he also had no sin nature. Now you can go on the internet today or you can go home and you could turn on the TV and there are going to be a lot of people that you're going to find and they are supposedly preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are many of them actually who believe and will tell you because they have written about it and they also preach about it on the air that Jesus Christ, when he died, had to go down to hell to suffer at the hands of the devil and his demons to atone for the possibility of his own sin nature before he could atone for the sins of mankind. That also is heresy. This doctrine is actually taught by many within the Word of Faith movement. It is taught by the likes of Joyce Meyer and Benny Hinn, T.D. Jakes, Creflo Dollar, and many, many others, and they have never repented of this false teaching and this heresy. It is through this temptation of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you were to look at Matthew chapter 3, you would find, go with me back just a couple of pages, as John the Baptist prepares the way for him, and he says at the baptism of Jesus, at the end of this chapter, he says, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. This is the same event that is recorded in John chapter 1. And in John chapter 1, of course, John the Baptist, as he is standing there, looks across the hills of Judea and Galilee, and he sees Jesus Christ coming, and he points him out, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God. Cannot imagine what it must have been like for 430 years of silence and another 20-something years of the beginning of John the Baptist's life. There has been no word from God. The only scriptures they have are the Old Testament. And then upon this darkened world, the children of Israel are struggling because of Rome and because of all of the, 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 the beatings and the severe abuse that they have had down through the years at the hands of the Babylonians, of the Medes, the Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans on two different occasions. And now there is a glimmer of light, a glimmer of hope, as John the Baptist points out Jesus Christ. But it is through this temptation that he has as he leaves the side of John the Baptist being baptized and he goes by the Spirit into the wilderness and there he is tempted and we are given the account of three different temptations that the Lord Jesus Christ undergoes and yet every one of them he points back to the scriptures and he says for example in verse 4 it is written my friend, this morning, you either believe that this is the Word of God or it is not the Word of God. There's no in-between. You can't pick and choose the parts that you want to believe. 
you have to believe all of it because this does not contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. There is a big difference. But he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. He takes him to the second temptation. And Satan tries misquoting scripture, which is what he does with every one of us at some point in our life. And he says again in verse 7, again, it is written. And then he goes and he takes him to a high pinnacle overlooking the temple. And he says to him, I will give her to a high mountain. And he says, I'll give you all of this. Jesus Christ, there, there has to be a little bit of humor here because Jesus Christ, the fact that Satan would offer what Jesus Christ already owned is laughable. But he says here, it is written in verse 10, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him. It is through this time of temptation in Matthew chapter 4 that Jesus Christ shows us by example that we cannot depend on our own strength. I have down through the years, I have heard people who have, especially when they get all riled up in, in camp meetings. Anybody here ever been to a camp meeting or a revival? Okay, a few of you have. And I have heard preachers make ridiculous comments like, I'm so mad I could charge hell with a squirt gun. No, I'm afraid you couldn't. We cannot depend on our own strength. Jesus Christ himself goes to the word of God and he testifies to the scriptures, its power and its truth. So in your notes this morning or in your handout, the beginning of ministry, Matthew chapter four and verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The word Russo here indicates that to preach is the public proclamation of the gospel. It is somebody who is standing or proclaiming forth or sitting, however they are actually doing it, but proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what is the gospel? Romans makes this clear. First Corinthians chapter one as well. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth and he says to them, the gospel that I preach unto you is the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other gospel. This is the same gospel that the, that the prophets had preached and they prophesied. In fact, we have looked at Isaiah chapter 53, for example, in the past, when Isaiah wrote this prophet 700 years before Jesus Christ came, and he says, who has believed our report? Who would believe that God himself would come down to this earth who was born of a virgin, Isaiah chapter seven, this one who would be called the Prince of Peace, the Mighty Father, the Counselor, and who in the world would believe that this one who is God would come down to die for the sins of mankind. It was the message of John the Baptist, repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was the message the Lord Jesus Christ himself proclaimed, and it was the same message that the disciples proclaimed. And after the beginning of the church, we find the empowerment of the Holy Spirit comes upon the church in Acts chapter two, and they go out and they set the world on fire. But what does this mean? What does it mean to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Is belief not enough? 
Can we not just say, yes, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that even the devils believe in the book of James, even the devils believe and they tremble. Simply believing is not enough to be able to get you into heaven. You see, a person who truly comes to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ has undergone a change of heart by the Holy Spirit. The word here is metanoia. It is repentance. It is a change of mind. Now, it is just like when you have a little child and that child is growing up and you keep telling them over and over and over, don't touch the stove because it is hot. But in their little minds, they're not thinking that the stove is hot, are they? But the moment they reach out when the stove is on and they forget and you reach up and you actually touch the stove, it is at that moment that they have a change of mind. Now, I can remember an event. It was my eighth birthday. We were living in Mississippi at the time and my mom made popcorn for us. And making the popcorn, my mom used to do a really good job. She would melt the butter, pour it over there, add a little bit of salt. By the way, I hate popcorn to this day. It's like styrofoam. And I reached up, being the small guy that I was, and my mom never saw me, and I reached up with my hand to take a couple of pieces of the popcorn, and she reached out with that pan and set it right there. I've still got the scar to this day. There was a change of mind. I realized that the warning that my mom had given me began to affect me in ways that I was not expecting. You see, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes through the work of the Holy Spirit and he changes our hearts, he changes our mind, he takes us from thinking of sin the way that the world does and he takes us to contrition for the sin that we commit against God. We find ourselves like David did in Psalm 51, Lord, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil. We talked about this in the Sunday's Bible class hour. It is not about me comparing myself or you comparing yourself with anybody else in the world. You can't compare yourself to Hitler or Mussolini or Stalin or anybody else. That may be your go-to. If I were to ask you, do you believe that you're a sinner? There may even be some here this morning and you would say, no, I'm not a sinner. I don't believe what you're telling me. But the Bible makes it very clear that we are all sinners. For all have sinned, Paul told the church in Rome. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. One preacher noted repentance or a change of mind involves the turning from sin to God. The repentant sinner is in the proper condition to accept the divine forgiveness. You see, when the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He is forgiving them. He is forgiving those around him and he is forgiving us as we look back and we come to the foot of the cross and we plead to him for mercy and we say, Father, Forgive me. Father, have mercy on me. And the Bible says that he who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. What a wonderful truth that the Lord Jesus Christ would do that for you and for me. Well, we find two aspects here in this call. In the beginning of his ministry, we find firstly the call of the disciples. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19. 
And he said to them, follow me. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Do you remember what Paul tells the church at Corinth? He says, some of you are saying, well, I'm for Apollos and I'm for Peter and I'm for Paul. And Paul says, do you not realize it is not Peter or me or Apollos who died for you? It was Jesus Christ. We are reminded that if we are going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and we are going to be one of his disciples, we have to follow him. You see, because mere man will let you down, your friends, your spouse, your children, your family, they will let you down, but Jesus Christ never will. And in this call, we find that it was personal. He called each one of them. And this is the way that he calls to you and I. He comes to you because you cannot be saved because mom and dad are saved. You cannot be saved because you were born in a Christian nation. You cannot be saved because the grandparents or because your kids are saved. You have to come when Jesus Christ, through his Holy Spirit, calls you and he sets his love upon you and he says, I want you for one of my own children. And at that point, you come by faith to him and you believe what he says and that what he did is applicable to you. And you're forgiven. It wasn't just a personal call, but it was a positive response. It was immediate. This is the irresistible grace of God at work. Jesus Christ called and those whom he called responded. I want to ask you a question this morning. Have you ever responded to the call of the gospel message? Have you ever come to the point where Jesus Christ has helped you to be able to realize through his Holy Spirit that you are indeed a sinner that you are depraved, that you are a wicked individual apart from him. Have you ever come to the point where you've realized that Jesus Christ went to the cross and if the only person that he had to go to the cross for in the entire world to be able to cover their sin was you, then that's who he died for. The reaction was not delayed till they felt like following the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and he says here, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he sees two brothers and he calls to them. And what does the next verse say in verse 20? Immediately, at once is the Greek word, at once they left their nets and followed him. What is verse 22? He calls James and John, his brother. They're in their boat with Zebedee the father. They're mending their nets and he called them. And it says, and they finished fending this, uh, uh, mending their nets and went and sold the fish first and then followed him. Doesn't say that, does it? It says, immediately at once they left the boat and their father. Listen, the Lord Jesus Christ himself says, when I call you to be my disciple, I call you to leave everything because you cannot love something more than Jesus Christ and be worthy to be his disciple. But he didn't stop with the disciples. We find in the very next verse, in verse 23, that he ministers to great crowds. He goes throughout all of Galilee. He's teaching in their synagogues. He's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He's healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And here we find the call of not just the disciples, but the people. Where would we be today if the 
whole New Testament only pointed to the fact that a very select few people, a very hand-selected group of disciples could actually follow Jesus. No, it says the Bible calls, whosoever will may come and drink of the water of life freely. In the call of the people, we find that Jesus went where they were. I want to encourage you with something this morning. We, we have started a new class, or we had the introduction to a new class called the Master's Disciples that we will have, Lord willing, on the first Saturday of every month, beginning at 9 o'clock here in the church basement in the fellowship hall downstairs. But with all of the classes that we may have and all of the teaching and all of the encouragement and all of the books and all of the pamphlets, by the way, there's a whole bunch of pamphlets that are available. They're on your way out the front door, over on your right-hand side as you go out. There is, and that is as you walk out, it's on your right-hand side. And there are a bunch of books and pamphlets there. That is free material. If you want to take that, you can take that and have it as our gift to you. Read that material. But I want to encourage you in something. If I were to ask you how many of you have a family member who is lost, how many of you have a family member who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, and if they were to drop dead this very hour, they would find themselves standing in judgment before God? If I were to ask you that, I can tell you that I do. I've talked with many of you, and you do. And the reality is this. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. It is not up to you and I to decide who is going to be saved and who is not. It is our responsibility to just give the message. Listen, there are people that may be in your life that I will never, ever get a chance to meet or to speak to, but you can. Tell them the truth if you love them. Tell them that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Will they hear every one of you? No, they won't. But those that will, will thank you. Those that come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they will love you for telling them the truth, for having enough courage, not just to go over for dinner, not just to go out and have a coffee, but to actually give them the greatest news that can cure the cancer of sin that is in their life. Jesus Christ went where they were. He commands us to go where they are. Five times we have the Great Commission given to us once in every one of the Gospels, as well as in Acts chapter 1. Go into all the world and preach the Gospel. He taught them, and when he went, he proclaimed the Gospel. What a wonderful Savior. He could have gone and he could have just healed people. When we were in Africa, there, there were West Africa, there, there were a lot of NGOs, which are non-government organizations, and there were a lot of them that did everything from provide schooling to housing to, 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 to wells to whatever you could possibly think of, but they weren't given the gospel. And you can make a country better. You can give them all the things that this world longs for. You can improve their standard and quality of living. But if they die without Christ, they die with nothing. Jesus says here that he, or the scripture says in Matthew 4, that he healed their diseases. He actually tells us a couple of times in the next few verses before the end of the chapter. We know that 
one day that all of our diseases will be healed. That's not a promise that we have in this life. There's no guarantee that any sickness that you have is not going to end up in death because as it is appointed and a man wants to die, after this comes the judgment. But when Jesus came, he has compassion on the people. He heals them. And then we come to Matthew chapter 5. We want to remind you just briefly what the definition of a beatitude is. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Think about you on your worst day. And if you have come to the point where you have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you have been adopted as a son of God. Nobody else offers that. No other religion can offer that. Only God can offer that. Last week we learned that the word refers to one who is blessed or happy. This blessedness comes from the context of, of those who obey the word of God. From those who follow his commands, the Beatitudes that Christ starts with in this first sermon are instructions for living, but they're not commands to fulfill. You can say, well, I haven't broken any one of those. That doesn't make you a Christian, my friend. The Bible says that we follow these because they are our instruction as we follow Christ. The good news of the gospel this morning is this, that Christ saves no matter what sin or transgression you may have committed. You say, well, yes, I recognize that deep down that I'm a bad person, that I am a person who has violated the laws of God and I have violated the standard that God has and that is to be holy for I am holy, says God himself. Number three, what is the kingdom of heaven? Psalm 47, seven, we read this to you last week, for God is the king of all the earth, sing praises with a psalm. You know, I am, I am so thankful when we stand up on a Sunday morning and despite the glitches that sometimes we have with the sound system, despite the fact that sometimes you may not know all of the words or, or maybe, it, maybe it's a, a song that you've never even heard before. We had two hymns this morning. We have sung both of them. Maybe you weren't here on a particular Sunday. How many of you have never sung those two hymns that we sang this morning? Well, I'll be honest. We sang them this morning. Okay, before today, are there any of you that haven't? And there are several of you that have never heard of these two songs, but oh, the richness of the theology that is found in them. Listen to what one person noted on the kingdom of God. It is a spiritual rule over the hearts and lives of those willing who willingly submit to God's authority. Those who defy God's authority and refuse to submit to him are not part of the kingdom of God. In contrast, those who acknowledge the lordship of Christ and gladly surrender to God's rule in their hearts are part of the kingdom of God. In this sense, the kingdom of God is spiritual. God said his kingdom was not of this world and he preached repentance is necessary to be a part of the kingdom of God, end quote. Do you remember what happened to John the Baptist 
What happened to him? Lost his head. What about the Apostle Paul when he's standing before Agrippa? And he says, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. And Paul says, no, I don't want to almost persuade you. I want you to be a Christian. Except for these chains, I want you to be like me. I want you to be forgiven. But when he stands and preaches, he proclaims the same thing. He preaches of sin, righteousness, and coming judgment. You see, you will not be able to understand the righteousness of God until you understand your sin. When you understand your sin, you will understand the lengths to which Jesus Christ, God the Son himself, went to when he died on the cross of Calvary so that you and I might have eternal life. And then when you understand that, you will realize from Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And you and I do not have to worry about judgment anymore. We saw the role of a king from Psalm 24, verses 8 and 10. Who is this king of glory? This one who has come. This is Jesus Christ himself. The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Selah. You see, you and I cannot make him Lord. We cannot make him king. He is already king. He is already Lord. Our king provides protection for us. He provides for the needs of his people. He maintains order in the world, and he shows us the Father. Look at everything that's going on. If you don't watch the news, good for you. I turn on the news every couple of days now. I used to watch it quite regularly. I wanted to know what was going on. Tune into the live feeds to find out what's happening in Ukraine or in Israel in the Gaza Strip, whatever it may be. Do you know what I had to realize again? And I have to keep being reminded of this, Brother Ryan. Our God is still sovereign. He is still in control. There's no reason for me to have to stay up, Brother Jeff, and worry and eat the bread of sorrows. I can turn my cares over to him because he cares for me. 1 Peter 5, 7. I am glad that he is the one that he... He is the one who maintains order in this world, and by his life, he shows us the Father. You see, we were to, just as he did, he said, Lord, Father, your will be done, not mine. A lot of times, though, we want to come and we want to say, Lord, I want your will to match my will instead of the other way around. We then looked at God's kingdom. Christ makes it clear, number five, that in his kingdom, his will is done. We just alluded to this. While there is a present experience in which those who are listening would see the kingdom of Christ or the kingdom of heaven, there is also a future reality in which we know that he will return. There are passages, not just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament that say that he will return just as he left in Acts chapter one. The angel said, in like manner, he will return. We don't know when that will be. We don't know how that will take place. We just know that he is coming back. We look forward to that day. So there are a few Old Testament Beatitudes that we could look at just briefly. And I want to share a, a few of these with you this morning. 
Some would have you believe that the Old Testament is just for an example and that the words are not applicable to Christians in the New Testament age. Yet when Christ uttered this sermon, the only scriptures were the Old Testament. Much of the truth that we find in the New Testament are the same commands that are given in the Old Testament. Let us consider a few of these, and then we will find in conclusion that there are woes to those who are disobedient. And the woes remain the same. Merciful. Here's one of the ones that we will look at in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are those who are merciful in verse 7. Listen to what Psalm 41.1 says, though. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord or Yahweh delivers him. We who are children of the Most High, you and I have more to be thankful for than anybody else on the face of the earth. We've just come through Thanksgiving, and yet the world's already forgotten that it's been Thanksgiving. They're already focused on December the 25th. And yet many of those who will celebrate, they won't celebrate the first advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. All they want are the gifts. All they want is the lights, the tinsel, the presents, Santa Claus. But it is our privilege as the church to be able to consider those who are less fortunate at times. It's one of the reasons for the bucket that we have here this morning. If you have been here even one service before, you will know who this is for. This is going to a restricted country to be able to help pastors. Pastors who live on very, very little, an amount of money that you and I couldn't live on if we had to. When the day of trouble comes upon the unbeliever, we are also able to give them good news, and that is the good news of the gospel. Blessed are those who are merciful. Blessed are the merciful. Secondly, we find to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We find this in verse 6. The, the comparison in the Old Testament would be found in Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Listen, Every day you and I walk, we have a choice. We can either walk following Christ or we can walk following the world. If we walk following the world, I can tell you that there is a progression. You will first walk by and you will see it and it will become attractive to you. And then after a while, you will stop to observe it. And then eventually you will find yourself sitting in the seat of the scornful and the ungodly. You cannot get away from it apart from Jesus Christ. Do you remember the account of Lot? In the account of Lot and Abraham, Abraham, the uncle, tells him, you can pick whatever you want. And so he looks over there and he sees the green valley of the Jordan and he says, that's what I want. And so he goes down and the next time we find Lot, not only is he in Sodom and Gomorrah, but he's actually risen in the ranks to the point where the people of Sodom and Gomorrah think that he's somebody special. He has risen to the point where he is willing to offer his own daughters on the sake of, for the, on the altar of immorality in order to be able to protect these angels. How far down this man had come. 
And yet the Bible tells us in the New Testament that Lot vexed his righteous soul. That tells me that there is forgiveness in God. In Psalm 1, we are reminded again, if we are to hunger and thirst for righteousness, we are to be like a tree that is planted by the rivers of water. Bringeth forth its fruit in its season. Are you bringing forth fruit? How does the world see you? How does your family see you? Do, do they see Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory? The pure in heart. And for the sake of time, we're not going to look at each one of these, but I want you to write these verses down if you're taking notes. Here we find Psalm 51. And to be truly happy is to live in a way that is pleasing to the Savior. And when we walk away from his path, we must acknowledge, as David did, that it is against God that we have sinned and we have done evil. This is not a comparison between one another. This is not he said, she said, they said. No, it is God, I stand before you and I stand condemned apart from Jesus Christ. Have you done that in your life? The poor in spirit. This is in verse 3. And here we find Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Proverbs 28, 13 says, Whoso confesses and forsakes their sin shall have mercy. But whoever seeks to try to cover their sin, to be able to say that, no, I am not a sinner. I, am, I have not done this wickedness. The Bible says that there is judgment upon them. Verse 2, blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Listen, he is not talking about somebody who never sins. He's talking about who, somebody who recognizes what God already knows about you. To be able to acknowledge that, yes, I have sinned, that, that, yes, I recognize this is a sin because it is an affront, O Lord, to you and against your holiness. Please forgive me. But the fact that the Lord counts no iniquity against this person, when God the Father looks down and he sees his children, he doesn't see you as a totally lost, depraved sinner anymore. He sees you in Jesus Christ. Throughout the sermon that Jesus Christ gives in chapter 5 through chapter 7, he speaks about judgment upon those who do not believe. My friends, this morning, this is a matter of life and death. If it is the last and only message that you ever hear today or that you ever hear because eternity waits for you tomorrow, know that what I am sharing with you is based on the reality of God's word and God's word alone. At least 15 times he warns of judgment and what will happen to all who do not walk the way of righteousness throughout this entire sermon. 15 times. Sometimes we can say something once and sometimes if we repeat it, you may think, well, I don't know what's wrong with the pastor and his notes, but he's already said that once. Jesus says this 15 different times in 15 different manners. He says, judgment is coming if you don't walk the way of righteousness. 
Listen to Proverbs chapter 8, verse 34. Blessed is he who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors, for whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. He who fails to find me injures himself, and all who hate me love death. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Very simple. This is the test. Are you ready? If you love Jesus Christ, you will obey his commands. If you don't obey his commands, it's because you don't love Jesus Christ. And if you don't love Jesus Christ, the Bible is clear that you love death. You love judgment. The Bible says that today could be the day of salvation for you. He says the same thing at the end of the sermon in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and 27. He gives the parable of the house. One is built on the shifting sand and the other is built on the rock of Jesus Christ. In the house that is making up your life today, you will find in that life that it is either built on the shifting sands of time and what the world has to offer or you will find that it is built on Jesus Christ and you will have not just the knowledge, but the confidence and the assurance that he belongs to you and you belong to him. Finally, this morning, there are some woes to those who are disobedient. Luke chapter 6, verses 24 and 26 but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Again, he is speaking of judgment here. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did so to the false prophets. You want to know where God gets or where this comes from in the Old Testament? Look at Deuteronomy 27 and 28 when you get a chance. You see, there was a covenant that was made between God and Israel, and God tells Moses, go tell the Israelites when they come into the land in which they will find themselves, they will find themselves between two mountains, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. On Ebal, half of the tribes are to stand for the warning of a curse. If they do not obey God, this will happen. It is a guarantee. The rest of the Old Testament is written as either a warning or judgments that have already come or a promise that there is going to be a redeemer that is going to take away all of these problems one day. And on Gerizim, the other half of the tribes will stand and they will listen to the blessings. Did they listen? Nope. Did they remember to read the words of the law like they were commanded to? Nope. Did they remember to keep the words of God on their forearms and on their foreheads and on the sides and the doors of their houses? No, they sure did not. I think that's part of the problem that we have today. There may be one or more, maybe as I have been, my wife and I, my family, we have been there in the past. What happens when you forget God on any particular given day? It's easy to forget him two days in a row. 
and then three days and before long an entire week has gone by and you haven't given one thought whatsoever and yet God has been gracious to allow you to live every second, every moment, every hour. And yet most of us can't even be bothered to get up and say, Lord, thank you for a new day. Thank you for the food that you have provided. Thank you for the blessings that you have given to me. But there was authority for his teaching, and this is where we are going to pick up, Lord willing, our next message on the Beatitudes. Listen to what Luke 6.46 says. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? In the New Testament, we find God is offering blessing, both blessing on one hand and cursing on the other. Brother Scott and I were talking about that earlier, and he shared with me John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Yes, God did so love the world that he gave his only begotten son. And yet, further on in that passage, that same passage, we find that not only does God love the world, but he also brings condemnation and those who are unbelievers the judgment of God still remains on them. For those who are dead in trespasses and sins, all that is on offer is eternal punishment. When you get to heaven or when you stand before God in judgment, you will be required to pay the penalty for your sin or Jesus Christ will have paid it for you. Every moment that passes, you will compound the rebellion that is in your heart against the one who created you. There is no purgatory. There is no middle ground. There's either a heaven to gain or a hell to shun. That is it. For the believer, though, blessing belongs to us forevermore. No matter what the world tries to throw at us, the blessings come because of who we are in Jesus Christ. That's worth rejoicing over. That's worth lifting up our voices and singing. That's, that's worth getting up every day and going to bed at night and laying our heads on our pillow and saying, Lord, the world is still yours. It'll still be yours in the morning. So therefore, I give you thanks for whatever happens between now and then. What a way to remember Jesus Christ. What a way to remember the fact that he is sovereign and he is in control. Listen, Christ the King came to free those enslaved to their father, the evil one. And there was a time in my life as well that I had to be rescued, that I had to be freed from my sin, to be freed from the penalty that I so rightly deserved. The world can mock all at once too. You may mock in your heart. But the God who created the world, the one who is Lord of all, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, his kingdom stands forever. Today, if you will hear his voice, come to him. Plead for mercy. He will in no wise cast you out. You will find that your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. And there will be nothing more to fear when it comes to the judgment of God. What more could you ask for out of life? I mean, some of you are in your 70s and 80s here this week. Some of you are only not even 10. 
but you do not know what tomorrow holds, and there's no guarantee that either one of you or any of you will actually have even one more day on this earth. But eternity is forever. John 3.16 does indeed speak of the love of God, a love so great that he gave his only begotten Son. But my friend, don't forget verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You know why we celebrate Christmas? We celebrate Christmas because Christ, Jesus Christ himself, God the Son, came down to this earth to be able to atone for our sins came down here to suffer the wrath of the Father so that we might have eternal life. That is the only reason why we have Christmas. It doesn't matter how the world dresses it up. It doesn't matter about all the tinsel or the lights or the presents. It doesn't matter about any of that. What matters, what matters is what Jesus Christ came to this earth for. Jesus Christ came to die. Do you believe that this morning? Is he your savior today? Let's pray. Father, I am thankful that your word says that he who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out the Lord Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry, called people to him over and over, but there are many who did not want to be his disciples. They were afraid of the hard things in life. They were afraid that it might cost them something dear in the, this life. And yet, as we will see in, later on in Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7, do not lay up treasures here on earth but in heaven, where neither moth nor rust corrupts nor thieves break in and steal. Our treasure for true believers is that the Lord Jesus Christ is preparing a place for us. And one day, Lord Jesus, you will come back for your bride Together and forever we will be with you. Blessed be the name of the Lord our God. The one who daily loads us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. Father, this morning, if there's anyone, even one person, who hears this message today or who may hear it online, who has never placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, as we say in these banners around the walls remind us every Sunday by grace alone, by faith alone, by the scriptures alone, in Christ alone, to God alone be the glory. Great things he hath done. I pray, Lord, that as we enter or we continue into this Christmas season, that each one who is here will remember what the world offers as mere trinkets and baubles, and that will not last but only what's done for Christ will last. May this be a special Christmas for each person here as we remember the one who came in the fullness of time so that we might have eternal life. And together we ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen.